0: Section 21 of The San Francisco Calamity by Earthquake and Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The San Francisco Calamity by Earthquake and Fire, edited by Charles Morris. Chapter 21 The Famous Vesuvius and the Destruction of Pompeii. The famous volcano of southern Italy named Vesuvius, which is now so constantly in eruption, was described by the ancients as a cone-shaped mountain with a flat top, on which was a deep circular valley filled with vines and grass and surrounded by high precipices. A large population lived on the sides of the mountain, which was covered with beautiful woods, and there were fine flourishing cities at its foot so little was the terrible nature of the valley on the top understood that in a d seventy two spartacus a rebellious roman gladiator encamped there with some thousands of fighting men and the roman soldiers were let down the precipices in order to surprise and capture them there had been earthquakes around the mountain and one of the cities had been nearly destroyed but no one was prepared for what occurred seven years after the defeat of spartacus suddenly in the year seventy nine A.D., a terrific rush of smoke steam and fire belched from the mountain's summit one side of the valley in which spartacus had encamped was blown off and its rocks with vast quantities of ashes burning stones and sand were ejected far into the sky they then spread out like a vast pall and fell far and wide for eight days and nights this went on and the enormous quantity of steam sent up together with the deluge of rain that fell produced torrents on the mountain-side which carrying onward the fallen ashes overwhelmed everything in their way sulphurous vapours filled the air and violent tremblings of the earth were constant a city six miles off was speedily rendered uninhabitable and was destroyed by the falling stones but two others herculaneum and pompeii which already had suffered from the downpour of ashes were gradually filled with the flood of water sand and ashes which came down the side of the volcano and covering them entirely buried cities excavated the difference in ease of excavation is due to the following circumstance herculaneum being several miles nearer the crater was buried in a far more consistent substance seemingly composed of volcanic ashes cemented by mud pompeii on the contrary was buried only in ashes and loose stones the casts of the statues found in herculaneum show the plastic character of the material that fell there which time has hardened to rock-like consistency these statues represented hercules and cleopatra and the theatre proved to be that of the long lost city of herculaneum the site of pompeii was not discovered until forty years afterward but work there proved far easier than at herculaneum and more progress was made in bringing it back to the light of day the less solid covering of pompeii has greatly facilitated the work of excavation and a great part of the city has been laid bare many of its public buildings and private residences are now visible and some whole streets have been cleared while a multitude of interesting relics have been found among those are casts of many of the inhabitants obtained by pouring liquid plaster into the ash moulds that remained of them we see them today in the attitude and with the expression of agony and horror with which death met them more than eighteen centuries ago. In succeeding eruptions, much lava was poured out, and in A.D. 472, ashes were cast over a great part of Europe, so much that fear was caused at Constantinople. The buried cities were more and more covered up, and it was not until about A.D. 1700 that as stated above the city of herculaneum was discovered the peasants of the vicinity being in the habit of extracting marble from its ruins they had also in the course of years found many statues in consequence an excavation was ordered by charles the third the earliest result being the discovery of the theatre with the statues above named The work of excavation, however, has not progressed far in this city, and on account of its extreme difficulty, though various excellent specimens of artwork have been discovered, including the finest examples of mural painting extant from antiquity. The library was also discovered, 1,803 papyri being found. Though these had been charred to cinder, and were very difficult to unroll and decipher, over three hundred of them have been read pliny's celebrated description pliny the younger to whom we are indebted for the only contemporary account of the great eruption under consideration was at the time of its occurrence resident with his mother at Misenum, where the roman fleet lay under the command of his uncle the great author of the historia naturalis his account contained in two letters to tacitus is not so much a narrative of the eruption as a record of his uncle's singular death yet it is of great interest as yielding the impressions of an observer the translation which follows is adopted from the very free version of melmoth except in one or two places where it differs much from the ordinary text the letters are given entire though some parts are rather specimens of style than good examples of description your request that i should send an account of my uncle's death in order to transmit a more exact relation of it to posterity deserves my acknowledgments for if this accident shall be celebrated by your pen the glory of it i am assured will be rendered for illustrious and notwithstanding he perished by a misfortune which as it involved at the same time a most beautiful country in ruins and destroyed so many populous cities seems to promise him an everlasting remembrance notwithstanding he has himself composed many and lasting works yet i am persuaded the mention of him in your immortal works will greatly contribute to eternize his name happy i esteem those to be whom providence has distinguished with the abilities either of doing such actions as are worthy of being related or of relating them in a manner worthy of being read but doubly happy are they who are blessed with both these talents, in the number of which my uncle, as his own writings and your history will prove, may justly be ranked. It is with extreme willingness, therefore, that I execute your commands, and should, indeed, have claimed the task if you had not enjoined it. He was at that time with the fleet under his command at Mizanum, on the twenty fourth of august about one in the afternoon my mother desired him to observe a cloud which appeared of a very unusual size and shape he had just returned from taking the benefit of the sun and after bathing himself in cold water and taking a slight repast had retired to his study he immediately arose and went out upon an eminence from whence he might more distinctly view this very uncommon appearance It was not at that distance discernible from what mountain the cloud issued, but it was found afterward to ascend from Mount Vesuvius. I cannot give a more exact description of its figure than by comparing it to that of a pine tree, for it shot up to a great height in the form of a trunk, which extended itself at the top into a sort of branches. Occasioned, I imagined, either by a sudden gust of air that impelled it, the force of which decreased as it advanced upwards, or the cloud itself being pressed back again by its own weight, and expanding in this manner, it appeared sometimes bright and sometimes dark and spotted, as it was more or less impregnated with earth and cinders. This extraordinary phenomenon excited my uncle's philosophical curiosity to take a nearer view of it he ordered a light vessel to be got ready and gave me the liberty if i thought proper to attend him i rather chose to continue my studies for as it happened he had given me an employment of that kind as he was passing out of the house he received dispatches the marines at retina terrified at the imminent peril for the place lay beneath the mountain and there was no retreat but by ships entreated his aid in this extremity he accordingly changed his first design, and what he began with a philosophical he pursued with a heroical turn of mind. The Voyage to Stabier He ordered the galleys to put to sea, and went himself on board with an intention of assisting not only Retina, but many other places, for the population is thick on that beautiful coast. When hastening to the place from whence others fled with the utmost terror, he steered a direct course to the point of danger and with so much calmness and presence of mind as to be able to make and dictate his observations upon the motion and figure of that dreadful scene he was now so nigh the mountain that the cinders which grew thicker and hotter the nearer he approached fell into the ships together with pumice stones and black pieces of burning rock they were in danger of not only being left aground by the sudden retreat of the sea but also from the vast fragments which rolled down from the mountain and obstructed all the shore here he stopped to consider whether he should return back again to which the pilot advised him fortune said he favors the brave carry me to pomponianus pomponianus was then at stabia separated by a gulf which the sea after several insensible windings forms upon the shore he Pomponianus had already sent his baggage on board, for though he was not at that time in actual danger, yet being within view of it, and indeed extremely near, if it should in the least increase, he was determined to put to sea as soon as the wind should change. It was favorable, however, for carrying my uncle to Pomponianus, whom he found in the greatest consternation. He embraced him with tenderness, encouraging and exhorting him to keep up his spirits and the more to dissipate his fears he ordered, with an air of unconcern, the baths to be got ready, when, after having bathed, he sat down to supper with great cheerfulness, or at least, what is equally heroic, with all the appearance of it. In the meantime the eruption from Mount Vesuvius flamed out in several places with much violence, which the darkness of the night contributed to render still more visible and dreadful but my uncle in order to soothe the apprehensions of his friend assured him it was only the burning of the villages which the country people had abandoned to the flames after this he retired to rest and it was most certain he was so little discomposed as to fall into a deep sleep for being pretty fat and breathing hard those who attended without actually heard him snore the court which led to his apartment being now almost filled with stones and ashes if he had continued there any longer it would have been impossible for him to have made his way out it was thought proper therefore to awaken him he got up and went to pomponianus and the rest of his company who were not unconcerned enough to think of going to bed they consulted together whether it would be most prudent to trust to the houses Which now shook from side to side with frequent and violent concussions, or to fly to the open fields, where the calcined stone and cinders, though light indeed, yet fell in large showers and threatened destruction. In this distress, they resolved for the fields as the less dangerous situation of the two, a resolution which, while the rest of the company were hurried into it by their fears, my uncle embraced upon cool and deliberate consideration death of pliny the elder they went out then having pillows tied upon their heads with napkins and this was their whole defense against the storm of stones that fell around them it was now day everywhere else but there a deeper darkness prevailed than in the most obscure night which however was in some degree dissipated by torches and other lights of various kinds they thought proper to go down further upon the shore to observe if they might safely put out to sea, but they found that the waves still ran extremely high and boisterous. There my uncle, having drunk a draught or two of cold water, threw himself down upon a cloth which was spread for him, when immediately the flames and a strong smell of sulphur, which was the forerunner of them, dispersed the rest of the company and obliged him to rise. He raised himself up with the assistance of two of his servants, and instantly fell down dead, suffocated, as I conjecture, by some gross and noxious vapor, having always had weak lungs, and being frequently subject to a difficulty of breathing. As soon as it was light again, which was not till the third day after this melancholy accident, his body was found entire, and without any marks of violence upon it exactly in the same posture as that in which he fell and looking more like a man asleep than dead during all this time my mother and i were at mazanum but this has no connection with your history and your inquiry went no farther than concerning my uncle's death with that therefore i will put an end to my letter suffer me only to add that i have faithfully related to you what i was either an eye witness of myself or received immediately after the accident happened and before there was any time to vary the truth you will choose out of this narrative such circumstances as shall be most suitable to your purpose for there is a great difference between what is proper for a letter and a history between writing to a friend and writing to the public farewell in this account which was drawn up some years after the event from the recollections of a student eighteen years old We recognize the continual earthquakes, the agitated sea with its uplifted bed, the flames and vapors of an ordinary eruption, probably attended by lava as well as ashes, but it seems likely that the author's memory, or rather the information communicated to him regarding the closing scene of Pliny's life, was defective. Flames and sulfurous vapors could hardly be actually present at Stabiae, ten miles from the center of the eruption that lava floated off from vesuvius on this occasion has been usually denied chiefly because at pompeii and herculaneum the causes of destruction were different ashes overwhelmed the former mud concreted over the latter we observe indeed phenomena on the shore near torre del Gracco, which seems to require the belief that currents of lava had been solidified there at some period before the construction of certain walls and floors and other works of roman date in the oxford museum among the specimens of lava to which the dates are assigned is one referred to a d seventy nine but there is no mode of proving it to have belonged to the eruption of that date pliny's second letter a second letter from pliny to tacitus was required to satisfy the curiosity of that historian especially as regards the events which happened under the eyes of his friend. Here it is, according to Melmoth. The letter which, in compliance with your request, I wrote to you concerning the death of my uncle, has raised, it seems, your curiosity to know what terrors and danger attended me while I continued at Mizanum, for there I think the account in my former letter broke off. Though my shocked soul recoils, my tongue shall tell my uncle having left us i pursued the studies which prevented my going with him till it was time to bathe after which i went to supper and from thence to bed where my sleep was greatly broken and disturbed there had been for many days before some shocks of an earthquake which the less surprised us as they are extremely frequent in Campania but they were so particularly violent that night that they not only shook everything about us but seemed indeed to threaten total destruction my mother flew to my chamber where she found me rising in order to awaken her we went out into a small court belonging to the house which separated the sea from the buildings as i was at that time but eighteen years of age i know not whether i should call my behavior in this dangerous juncture courage or rashness but i took up livy and amused myself with turning over that author and even making extracts from him as if all about me had been in full security while we were in this posture a friend of my uncle's who was just come from spain to pay him a visit joined us and observing me sitting with my mother with a book in my hand greatly condemned her calmness at the same time that he reproved me for my careless security nevertheless i still went on with my author though it was now morning the light was exceedingly faint and languid the buildings all around us tottered and though we stood upon open ground yet as the place was narrow and confined there was no remaining there without certain and great danger we therefore resolved to quit the town the people followed us in the utmost consternation and as to a mind distracted with terror every suggestion seems more prudent than its own pressed in great crowds about us in our way out being got to a convenient distance from the houses we stood still in the midst of a most dangerous and dreadful scene the chariots which we had ordered to be drawn out were so agitated backwards and forwards though upon the most level ground that we could not keep them steady even by supporting them with large stones the sea seemed to roll back upon itself and to be driven from its bank by the convulsive motion of the earth it is certain at least that the shore was considerably enlarged and many sea animals were left upon it on the other side a black and dreadful cloud bursting with an igneous serpentine vapor darted out a long train of fire resembling flashes of lightning but much larger fear versus composure upon this the spanish friend whom i have mentioned addressed himself to my mother and me with great warmth and earnestness if your brother and your uncle said he is safe he certainly wishes you to be so too but if he has perished it was his desire no doubt that you might both survive him Why, therefore, do you delay your escape a moment? We could never think of our own safety, we said, while we were uncertain of his. Hereupon our friend left us, and withdrew with the utmost precipitation. Soon afterward the clouds seemed to descend and cover the whole ocean, as it certainly did the island of Capri, and the promontory of Misenum. My mother strongly conjured me to make my escape at any rate, which, as I was young, I might easily do. As for herself, she said, her age and corpulency rendered all attempts of that sort impossible. However, she would willingly meet death, if she could have the satisfaction of seeing that she was not the occasion of mine. But I absolutely refused to leave her, and taking her by the hand, I led her on, she complied with great reluctance, and not without many reproaches to herself for retarding my flight. The ashes now began to fall upon us, though in no great quantity. I turned my head and observed behind us a thick smoke, which came rolling after us like a torrent. I proposed, while we yet had any light, to turn out of the high road lest she be pressed to death in the dark by the crowd that followed us. We had scarce stepped out of the path when darkness overspread us, not like that of a cloudy night or when there is no moon, but of a room when it is all shut up and all the lights are extinct. Nothing then was to be heard but the shrieks of women, the screams of children and the cries of men, some calling for their children, others for their parents, others for their husbands, and only distinguishing each other by their voices— One lamenting his own fate, another that of his family, some wishing to die from the very fear of dying, some lifting their hands to the gods, but the greater part imagining that the last and eternal night was to come, which was to destroy the gods and the world together. Among them were some who augmented the real terrors by imaginary ones, and made the frightened multitude believe that Mazanum was actually in flames at length a glimmering light appeared which we imagined to be rather the forerunner of an approaching burst of flames as in truth it was than the return of day however the fire fell at a distance from us then again we were immersed in thick darkness and a heavy shower of ashes rained upon us which we were obliged every now and then to shake off otherwise we should have been crushed and buried in the heap I might boast that, during all this scene of horror, not a sigh or expression of fear escaped me, had not my support been founded in that miserable, though strong, consolation that all mankind were involved in the same calamity, and that I imagined I was perishing with the world itself. At last this dreadful darkness was dissipated by degrees, like a cloud of smoke. The real day returned, and soon the sun appeared though very faintly and as when an eclipse is coming on every object that presented itself to our eyes which were extremely weakened seemed changed being covered over with white ashes as with a deep snow we returned to Mizanum, where we refreshed ourselves as well as we could and passed an anxious night between hope and fear For the earthquake still continued, while several greatly excited people ran up and down, heightening their own and their friends' calamities by terrible predictions. However, my mother and I, notwithstanding the danger we had passed, and that which still threatened us, had no thoughts of leaving the place till we should receive some account of my uncle. And now you will read this narrative without any view of inserting it in your history, of which it is by no means worthy and, indeed, you must impute it to your own request if it shall not even deserve the trouble of a letter. Farewell. Dion Cassius on the eruption. The story told by Pliny is the only one upon which we can rely. Dion Cassius, the historian, who wrote more than a century later, does not hesitate to use his imagination telling us that pompeii was buried under the shower of ashes while all the people were sitting in the theatre this statement has been effectively made use of by bulwer in his last days of pompeii in this he pictures for us a gladiatorial combat in the arena with thousands of deeply interested spectators occupying the surrounding seats the novelist works his story up to a thrilling climax in which the volcano plays a leading part. This is all very well as a vivid piece of fiction, but it does not accord with fact, since Dion Cassius was undoubtedly incorrect in his statement. We know now from the evidence furnished by the excavations that none of the people were destroyed in the theaters, and indeed that there were very few who did not escape from both cities." it is very likely that many of them returned and dug down for the most valued treasures in their buried habitations. Dion Cassius may have obtained the material for his accounts from the traditions of the descendants of survivors, and if so, he shows how terrible must have been the impression made upon their minds. He assures us that during the eruption a multitude of men of superhuman nature appeared, sometimes on the mountain and sometimes in the environs, THAT STONES AND SMOKE WERE THROWN OUT, THE SUN WAS HIDDEN, AND THEN THE GIANTS SEEMED TO RISE AGAIN, WHILE THE SOUNDS OF TRUMPETS WERE HEARD. LAKE AVERNUS Not far from Vesuvius lay the famous Lake Avernus, whose name was a long popular synonym for the infernal regions. The lake is harmless today, but its reputation indicates that it was not always so there is every reason to believe that it hides the outlet of an extinct volcano and that long after the volcano ceased to be active it emitted gases as fatal to animal life as those suffocating vapors which annihilated all the cattle on the island of Lanzarote in the canaries in the year seventeen thirty its name signifies birdless indicating that its ascending vapors were fatal to all birds that attempted to fly above its surface In the superstition of the Middle Ages, Vesuvius assumed the character which had before been given to Avernus, and was regarded as the mouth of hell. Cardinal Damiano, in a letter to Pope Nicholas II, written about the year 1060, tells the story of how a priest, who had left his mother ill at Beneventum, went on his homeward way to Naples, past the crater of Vesuvius, and heard issuing therefrom the voice of his mother in great agony. He afterward found that her death coincided exactly with the time at which he had heard her voice. A trip to the summit of Vesuvius is one of the principal attractions for strangers who are visiting Naples. There is a fascination about that awful slayer of cities which few can resist, and no less attractive is the city of Pompeii now largely laid bare after being buried for eighteen centuries we are indebted to henry haney for the following interesting description once seen it will never be forgotten it is full of suggestions it kindles emotions that are worth the kindling and brings on dreams that are worth the dreaming of the three places overwhelmed herculaneum pompeii and Stabiae. The last scarcely repays excavation in one sense, and the first in another, but to watch the diggers at Pompeii is fascinating, even when there is no reasonable expectation of a find. Herculaneum was buried with lava, or rather with tufa, and it is so very hard that the expense of uncovering of only a small part of that city has been very great. How Pompeii Impresses Its Visitors pompeii was smothered in ashes however and most of it is uncovered now but while there is much that is fascinating and all of it is instructive there is nothing grand or awe-inspiring in the ruins of pompeii no visitor stands breathless as in the great hall of karnak or in the once dreadful Colosseum at rome or dreams with sensuous delight as before the jasmine court at agra The weirdness of the scene possesses us as a haunted chamber might. We have before us the narrow lanes, paved with tufa, in which Roman wagon-wheels have worn deep ruts. We cross streets on stepping-stones, which sandaled feet ages ago polished. We see the wine-shops with empty jars, counters stained with liquor, stone mills where the wheat was ground and the very ovens in which bread was baked more than eighteen centuries ago welcome is offered us at one silent broken doorway at another we are warned to beware of the dog the painted figures some of them so artistic and rich in colors that pictures of them are disbelieved the mosaic pavements the empty fountains the altars and household gods The marble pillars and the small gardens are there just as the owners left them. Some of the walls are scribbled over by the small boys of Pompeii in strange characters which mock modern erudition. In places we read the advertisements of gladiatorial shows, never to come off, the names of candidates for legislative office who were never to sit. There is nothing like this elsewhere. The value of Pompeii to those classic students who would understand, not the speech only, but the life and the everyday habits of the ancient world, is too high for reckoning. Its inestimable evidence may be seen in the fact that any high school boy can draw the plan of a Roman house, while ripest scholars hesitate on the very threshold of a Greek dwelling. This is because no Hellenic Pompeii has yet been discovered, But thanks to the silent city close to the beautiful bay of Naples, the Latin house is known from Ostium to Porticus, from the front door to the back garden wall. Streets and Houses of Pompeii The streets of Pompeii must have had a charm unapproached by those of any city now in existence. The stores, indeed, were wretched little dens. Two or three of them commonly occupied the front of a house on either side of the entrance, The ostium but when the door lay open as was usually the case a passerby could look into the atrium prettily decorated and hung with rich stuffs the sunshine entered through an aperture in the roof and shone on the waters of the impluvium the mosaic floor the altar of the household gods and the flowers around the fountain as the life of the pompeians was all outdoors their pretty homes stood open always there was indeed a curtain betwixt the atrium and the peristyle but it was drawn only when the master gave a banquet thus a wayfarer in the street could see beyond the hall described and its busy servants the white columns of the peristyle with creepers trained about them flowers all around and jets of water playing through pipes which are still in place in many cases the garden itself could be observed between the pillars of the further gallery and rich paintings on the wall beyond that but how far removed those little palaces of pompeii were from our notion of well-being is scarcely to be understood by one who has not seen them it is a question strange in all points of view where the family slept in the houses nearly all of which had no second story in the most graceful villas the three to five sleeping chambers round the atrium and four round the peristyle were rather ornamental cupboards than aught else one did not differ from another and if these were devoted to the household the slaves male and female must have slept on the floor outside the master his family and his guest used these small dark rooms which were apparently without such common luxuries as we expect in the humblest home. All their furniture could hardly have been more than a bed and a footstool, but it should be remembered that the public bath was a daily amusement. The kitchen of each villa certainly was not furnished with such ingenuity, expense, or thought as the stories of Roman gormandizing would have led us to expect. In the house of the Aedile. So called from the fact that Pansam Aed is inscribed in red characters by the doorway, the cook seems to have been employed in frying eggs at the moment when increasing danger put him to flight. His range, four partitions of brick, was very, very small. A knife, a strainer, a pan lay by the fire just as they fell from the slave's hand. Value of the Discovery of Pompeii this description strongly presents to us the principal value of the discovery of pompeii interesting as are the numerous works of art found in its habitations and important as is their bearing upon some branches of the art of the ancient world this cannot compare in interest with the flood of light which is here thrown on ancient life in all its details enabling us to picture to ourselves the manners and habits of life of a cultivated and flourishing population at the beginning of the christian era to an extent which no amount of study of ancient history could yield looking upon the work of the volcano as essentially destructive as we naturally do we have here a valuable example of its power as a preservative agent and it is certainly singular that it is to a volcano we owe much of what we know concerning the cities, dwellings, and domestic life of the people of the Roman Empire. It would be very fortunate for students of antiquity if similar disasters had happened to cities in other ancient civilized lands, however unfortunate it might have been to their inhabitants, but doubtless we are better off without knowledge gained from the ruins thus produced. End of chapter 21. Recording by Kathleen Nelson, Austin, Texas, August 2010.